All right. Good evening, everybody. My name is Kaylin David, and you're listening to episode eight of Early Evenings with Kaylin David. Tonight, we'll be talking with Lauren Hollis about summer courses, uh, some of the things in the upcoming semester, and, and much more. So stay tuned for that. But right before we get into the show, let's start with a bit of pen news, courtesy of our friends at The Daily Pennsylvanian. This morning, the DP published an article that was telling the stories of several students who stayed on campus when Penn sent everyone home during the initial COVID-19 outbreak in the U.S., Students talked about only having a handful of dinner options available at the dining halls that they weren't even allowed to eat inside of. Uh, it wasn't just dining halls that completely changed for those students, though. It was pretty much all aspects of their daily routines. Penn basically turned into a ghost town. And this time period was a crazy one, with students only having a four-day notice about moving out when Penn initially announced their plans for the remainder of the spring semester, forcing thousands of students to scramble in search of answers and just their next step. This resulted in a really mass confusion with hundreds of students also being denied the request to stay on campus throughout the spring, even despite them thinking that they had a valid reason to stay on campus. Even after students were able to attain the security of housing on campus for the rest of the spring, they were almost instantly exposed to a very desolate and lonely life on what was left of Penn's campus. I think this is a really important article that the DP published because I think Penn can really use it to kind of improve the experience for students this fall. And if we do everything the same way and just kind of leave our students to find their own way, those same problems of isolation and loneliness could become a problem once again. And it even has the potential to be a domino effect. You know, if Penn doesn't find a way to mitigate isolation and loneliness, it could drive students' mental health to suffer and or culminate in students breaking the student campus compact that we have to abide to when we come to campus. And we'll be getting into that more later also. And this could kind of come from them just enduring too much and not really wanting to wait and then potentially putting their physical health at risk now in addition to mental health arising from loneliness. So I think hearing the voices of those who experienced this firsthand kind of before the rest of us, those who lived in the ghost town that was Penn in spring of 2020, it, it's really important to find the best ways of uniting this community in the future. Hopefully we're able to find ways to uphold the enriching community that is Penn. And if we find a silver lining outlook to it, I hope that this fall encourages creativity and innovation in students specifically digitally, since really all events are going to have to be held digitally if they're at all possible. I'm definitely going to try my best to do my part to create some cool things for entertaining and informing the community. So I'm excited for that. And I'd also encourage everyone else to do the same. We all have to play our part to kind of beat this thing, but we should also find ways to adapt and continue to uplift each other in this new normal. So with that, we'll switch from all of the bleak vibes and start the show. As I mentioned before, my first guest is a rising sophomore in the College of Arts and Sciences, as well as a close friend of mine at Penn. I'd like to welcome Lauren Hollis. Lauren, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So thank you for joining us once again. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you study, some of your involvements at Penn and and or your personal interests. Yeah, so I'm from South Jersey. I'm only about 30 minutes away from campus. So I'm like almost a local. I study economics and I'm minoring in international relations in the college. So it's kind of like a do-it-yourself huntsman program um, a little bit and then on campus I'm involved in the after-school arts program which teaches kids in West Philly 
um, how to play musical instruments or do dance and theater. And then I'm also a member of Sigma Kappa sorority. Very cool. So you're majoring in economics, minoring in IR. Econ is a very popular major at Penn. And I'd say IR is also a pretty popular field of study. So talk a little bit about kind of how you make it unique and what led you to this path and how you hope to integrate this field of study with your other passions and or career interests. Yeah, so I decided I wanted to major in econ when I was like in high school because when I was about 16, I really wanted to be a lawyer. And they say that econ majors do really well in the LSAT, but now I don't think I want to do that. And between the two different career, few different career options I'm debating between, which is like politics, public policy, and like consulting, I got bit by the consulting bug at Penn. Um, econ just provides like a really good foundation for all of that. And I really like knowing how different systems works and why people behave the way that they do. So econ kind of blurs all that together. And then I picked IR because I've always really loved history and international history. And I think these two kind of go hand in hand. You can't really have an international policy without seeing how the domestic international economy will be affected by it. So if I could one day blur those things together, that'd be kind of awesome. Right now, I'm kind of leaning more towards consulting. And if I do that, more in like a healthcare education consulting route. And maybe I could go abroad with that. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it provides a good base level for everything. As a fellow econ major, yeah, I'd agree. It's a really good foundational way of thinking. Consulting bug, it, you know, <laughs> one way or another, it bites all of us. Uh, yeah. Me this past spring. There you go. Uh, it got John Lennon, too. Huh? It got John Lennon, too. He worked at Boston Consulting Group before he became a recording artist. Oh, cool. Learn something new yeah. every day. Random fact <laughs> of the day, courtesy of our guest, Lauren Holmes. <laughs> so going along with my last question about talking about some of your other passions and interests, you mentioned that one of your involvements at Penn is that you're a co-coordinator for an after-school arts program in West Philly. Tell us a little bit more about that and kind of what you do and how your involvement with that club has evolved. Sure. So the After School Arts Program is a Penn organization. We have it right at the Platt House next to the Quad. It's all volunteers and Penn students will teach middle school age kids in West Philly how to play musical instruments or they do dance and theater lessons or voice lessons. And this is because a lot of schools in West Philly are underfunded and either have really small arts programs or don't have one at all. So this provides a way for these kids who would otherwise not have the resources and opportunities to have this creative outlet and spend their time in a productive, creative way and give them also like a kind of a role model person to look up to. A lot of the times when I'm with my student, yes, we do play piano and I teach them things, but it's also I'm just a person there that they can talk to about their day or something going on in their home life or at school and like middle school drama and just kind of being a, like a big sister for them and I absolutely adore this program it's such like a great way to spend my Monday afternoons and the kids really get a lot out of it we have a uh, midwinter showcase and we were supposed to have a end of the year spring showcase where all their parents come and all the kids play a little song or like do a little dance or something like that and just you see how much they've grown and how much more confident they get in their abilities and performing in front of other people. It's really like, amazing to see. And this past semester, I was I applied for the co-coordinator position. 
and I end up getting it. So now I kind of match the kids and mentors up by their instrument preferences and personality vibes and when the people are available to volunteer. And I also, if there's like behavioral issues, I kind of help manage that a little bit. Um, because when you have 60 middle schoolers in one room, there's going to be some issues. But um, it's a really great program that I'm really proud to be a part of. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I, I think that it's really great kind of what you're doing with that. So switching from being an instructor, by the way, did you only tutor piano? Yeah, so I also play cello, but no kid wanted to learn how to play the cello. So I just do piano. But there are other people that teach different instruments. I gotcha. So have you, moving to the co-coordinator position, has your hands-on commitment kind of decreased? Is it more administrative stuff that you're doing now, or are you still tutoring just as much? So um, there are two sessions you can tutor from. They're each 45 minutes long. And my first semester, I taught both sessions. And now that I'm the coordinator, I only do one because there's one girl who I like absolutely love. And she's like, we're quite connected. But I spend the other half of the time kind of handling issues that come up. So Step down a little bit, but I still try and be pretty involved. And Yeah, it sounds like you still are pretty involved. So now, you said that this performance in the spring, it was canceled due to COVID, I'm assuming? Yes. So what changes have you made to this program to ensure that you can continue tutoring these students? And talk a little bit about how you've been uh, leading the effort to make this program virtual. Yes. So in the for the remainder of this past spring, we ended up not being able to do it online. We just kind of couldn't get all of the parts together in time on such short notice. But in the fall, myself and the other coordinator, um, we are trying to figure out the best way to do this virtually. We have a lot of mentors that really do want to keep going and keep interacting with these kids. There are quite a few issues, though. Um, actually, today, I believe the Philly school district said that they are staying all online until October 15th. So they're not going to be at their schools and then brought to the Platt house, which could create some issues. And then with it, everything being online, it's hard to get instruments to the students because we can't just like give out pianos to kids all throughout Philly. And even if kids do get instruments, do they have Wi-Fi? Do they have a laptop that has a camera on it where we can see them and talk to them do they have a quiet place where they can go and practice and have their lesson for the hour or so a week um we're trying to figure out how to make this the most equitable we can but this experience has actually been like a micro level example of a lot of inequalities that are being exposed due to covid like a lot of things are being highlighted that these schools already don't have an arts program. And now the one that they do have, they still can't attend and be a part of because of the lack of infrastructure and resources given to them. Yeah, so it definitely sounds like it's really been a challenge uh, switching this to virtual. Uh, and it's even more of a challenge kind of figuring out the best way to keep this program alive. On a more general level, you, I like how you said that this is just a micro example of all the problems and inequalities that have risen out of coronavirus. So switching to COVID on a more general level, let's talk about your experience uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Talk about 
heading back home due to Penn shutting down. Walk us through your emotions when you first heard that classes would be online for the rest of the year, that we all had to move out. Uh, just kind of walk me through your experience with it. Yeah. So actually the weekend before spring break, I came home because I was just having kind of a rough time and just needed to see my mom basically. And throughout that weekend, I kind of got myself together and I was ready to have like take on the rest of the semester, like all guns blazing. And then a week later, they said, you're coming, you're going home and never coming back. So I was a little dejected and I was kind of upset that I didn't get to say goodbye to a lot of my upperclassmen friends who were all going to go, especially the seniors who were going to go off and live their real lives now. I don't know when I'll see them again. A lot of my friends that live really far away, I said, bye, see you in a week, not see you in six months. So that was really hard. I was pretty upset for a while. I also had a lot of like newly developed friendships where I'm not close enough to them yet, where I can just FaceTime them whenever I want, but I still like wanted to get to know them they were like in the works and those kind of just got trampled on before they could even start um my family was really supportive though they understood that this was like a really hard time for me to have to like move back home and leave all my friends behind and my new like lifestyle behind for the time being but it's gotten better like, I got used to it but it definitely was very upsetting at the time and I'm really glad I had like my family there and like all my friends from high school moved back the same week so we were all kind of there for each other but I think everyone kind of felt very upset about it and just discouraged yeah I feel that um also like I'm in the same position where luckily I had you know a lot of support from my family and all the boys were back in town so that was that was nice at least but yeah, it was, it's very difficult, especially like how you said, you have relationships that are just blossoming that you haven't really gotten enough time to really develop a relationship with someone, get to know them, and to just kind of have to abruptly leave all that behind is really hard. Uh, and it's yeah. going to be just as hard trying to go back to the college experience and the new framework that we're going to have to do for this upcoming fall. And we'll talk about that in more detail here in a couple minutes. So now... Moving to academics, how would you describe your experience with virtual learning this past spring? So my actual classes went okay. Um, my learning style is pretty conducive to just reading a textbook and kind of teaching myself. That is just the way I kind of process things a little bit better. But I did really miss the culture of learning that Penn has, even like a high school would have, where it's, you just have people around you all the time that are also doing their work and have the same goals that you do they're in the same like life places you I also when I'm at school I don't work in my dorm as much as I can I like to compartmentalize like a workspace and a study space and a like like a what's the word I'm thinking of like a comfy chill space which normally is my room and then I come back home and I have to work in my bedroom and everything's kind of blurred together in my head and that kind of messed me up for a while because I was just not used to having that kind of those lines blurred again and I also just miss study groups and doing work with my friends like super late in some library or even if I'm studying alone in a Starbucks or a library there's other people around me that are also studying or doing something and to have to completely wipe all that away and just be by myself in my bedroom doing all my work for hours like that was definitely a harder adjustment than the classes just going online. 
Rip Stallman's and the Ware Library. Those are right. two places very near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I was a Fisher Fine Arts girl. That was like my little like cave. Uh, not you know what? Not once freshman year did I walk into Fisher Fine Arts Library, and I now really regret it that I was never able to go there. Oh, it's beautiful. You have to. Uh, yeah, I will <laughs> eventually. So you did take summer classes, correct? Yes. Uh, how many did you take? I just took one. I took Introduction to International Relations. Cool. So talk about that course a little bit and then take a second and kind of reflect. How would you say that the summer courses, which were all online, compared to remote learning in the spring? And do you think that instructors having more time to plan out curriculums and syllabi and coursework kind of improved the virtual experience? Yeah, so this class is, I'm still taking it. I have about one more week left. And it's been awesome. My professor, he's really young. He's like in his 30s. So he's definitely more tech savvy than I think some older professors are who they did a good job. But it's just it's different when the class is designed to be online rather than, oh, my gosh, I have to change my entire course design in two weeks to make this like conducive to the new situation. So I've had a pretty good experience with this so far. He's been really receptive to emails. He answers really quickly. There's a lot of virtual office hours. What I like about this course and what I kind of want to talk about a little bit later is how we do a lot of breakout groups. So it's not just like 40 of us staring at a screen with no one with their video on. Like we actually have to talk and communicate with other people. And even for like 20 minutes at a time, it's still nice because it feels like you're still part of a discussion and you're in a classroom, not just like aimlessly listening to something. So I've had a better experience this summer than I did this past spring, but I think that's just kind of, they had more time to prepare for it. Of course, for sure. I personally didn't take any summer classes, so I can't really attest to that, but I understand what you're saying, how teachers professors especially older professors that were not very tech savvy only having like two weeks to completely switch your course and the rest of your exams and the whole framework of your class to an online format it's a lot to ask even of a professor who is tech savvy i mean two weeks is not a lot of time but you know professors did what they could to make it work and that's very good to hear that that professor really it seems like really put a lot of care into that course and how he designed it for the summer since it was designed to be uh, taught online. So Mm -hmm. I heard that you made a podcast for this class. And since it's so fitting, given that we're currently recording a podcast, tell us about that podcast. Sure. So for this class, I'm still in the process of making it. It's a lot more work than I thought it was, but um, it had to be about any international relations issue. And mine is about how Brexit, so the United Kingdom leaving the EU, how that affects Ireland. Um, I picked this because I come from a very Irish family. Um, so this is kind of a near and dear issue to my heart. Um, for those, I'll give you like a brief Reader's Digest version of the issue. But basically, Ireland's actually two countries. So it's the Republic, which is what most people think of as Ireland, and then Northern Ireland, which is still a part of the United Kingdom. And with Brexit and everything happening, Northern Ireland doesn't want to leave the European European Union like England does, but they kind of have to. So it's sparking a lot of conversation on whether the whether both parts of Ireland should unify um, for the first time in like hundreds of years, or what's going to happen there. So that's kind of a bit about 
my podcast in like simplest terms but it's a lot more work than I thought it was going to be trying to mix all the sounds and timing everything right but it's been a really cool project it's different than just a like powerpoint presentation because it's a nice learning curve isn't it you learn how to do a lot of stuff in the process of just like editing it and all that oh yeah I feel like I can put it on my LinkedIn when I'm done it's like I can audacity now (laughs) audacity is the worst and I'll go on the record to say that Adobe Audition is alpha. Uh, also, on the subject of Ireland, 21% of my views come from Ireland. I don't know who out there in Ireland is listening to this show, but whoever you are, shout out to you. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with the virtual learning experience as a whole, do you think that there are any major changes to the virtual learning framework that need to be imp- implemented for the fall 2020 semester? So yes, I don't know if I'm the best person to speak on this because I do learn pretty well just by kind of reading a book and like listening to a recording. But obviously the course structure changes and with office hours being online, I think the teachers need to find a balance between being adaptable and understanding of like each student's circumstance because you never know like what their home life is like or whether like anything going on in their family situation what was still maintaining like pen standards, like not just letting everyone go easy for the semester because that's like not what we're paying for. We're paying to be challenged and to be just like to like, access different parts of our brain. So I think finding a balance between that is on the professors, but we still have to, it has to be reciprocated. Like we have to be understanding that these professors have lives too. And then what I was saying a little bit earlier that my professor currently does is We have breakout rooms a lot. Like he starts the class with them. He ends the class with them. So I get like, I didn't know anyone in this class, but now I have like some people that I have like their numbers and we're friends now. And that's been kind of nice to like make a new friend during all of this and to talk to people and not just have it be 30 of us staring at a screen. It actually feels much more engaging. So I think even big lecture classes like an econ 001, if they could find ways to have you in breakout rooms and have discussions that way you still feel like you're a part of the class and you still feel like you're getting that human interaction even if it's just on zoom I think that could be really beneficial for maintaining like students academic success and mental health because I don't think you can have one without the other if you don't have a strong mental health right now your grades might suffer and if your grades are suffering it makes you feel worse so I think having a support that way into the design of the class into into the design of the course would be really helpful of course one thing that i love that you pointed out was just the overall concept of maintaining those human interactions that was something that fisher touched on a lot whenever he was on here because for his case he said that his professor started off each class just as a whole kind of doing a round table just asking how everyone was doing uh making sure that you know throughout this whole thing people are still thriving or doing okay and because like you said the mental health is critical for your academic success and just as for a person in general mm-hmm. so let's switch gears with that and talk about the fall semester as a whole so as i'm sure everyone in the pen community is aware of by now it, it'd be disturbing if you weren't aware of this <laughs> uh, we'll be returning to campus in the fall under our socially distant hybrid model Lauren, what were your initial reactions to the announcement and has your outlook on the fall semester changed as the university's plans and information has developed? Yeah, so I was actually 
going back and forth between what my opinion was on all of this since we've been home. I was like, I don't know if we should go back to school. Like, is that what's safe and responsible? But oh my God, I can't like not see my friends and like stay home for another six months or so. That'd be equally as anxiety producing and difficult. But now that we are going back and we do have an actual plan, I still am nervous about all of it because I don't know how it's going to go and how people will behave and if we will follow all the rules or if we're going home in two weeks after. Who knows? But I'm excited just to see people again. Like, I love my family, but it'd be nice to see a different set of people for a couple of months. But I think this right now the hybrid is the best we can do right now. Um, I only have one class that meets in person. It's my Spanish class. Um, which And that actually meets four times a week. So I have, like, one outing a day where I can interact with people in person and, like, wear not sweatpants, which will be nice. But um, I still have some reservations about everyone going back in the fall. Yeah, I can I can understand that. Um, I'm also excited to go back just to kind of see everyone. And also, interestingly enough, I think Spanish is also my only in-person class. So, hey. but there are going to be a lot of things that are different about it. And we'll kind of get into each of those uh, different kind of aspects of the pen experience that are going to be impacted by this new model. Uh, and we'll start with Greek life. So Lauren, both of us are in Greek life. Yeah. Greek life is pretty big at Penn. It's about 25% of the student bodies involved in Greek life. You actually hold a leadership position in the Sigma Kappa sorority. Uh, talk about that a little bit and how you plan to use your experience that you have thus far in the position and to proceed through this fall semester. Yes, so I am currently the assistant PR chair of Sigma Kappa. So I mostly work on the Instagram story. That's kind of my domain. Um, on that, normally it would be birthday posts and like sisterhood events. But for the past few months, actually, we um, we formed a diversity committee in light of all of the Black Lives Matter protests. And we really wanted to play a part in that. And so we, uh, what I've been doing to do my part in making SK more inclusive and um, on a woke, I guess, um, is we've turned the Instagram story into a place where we've only been posting resources about different um, social justice issues. And that's been something I wasn't expecting to do this semester, but I'm really glad it's taken that pivot. And I'm really proud of the way that um, um, myself and the rest of um, my sorority sisters have taken initiative to speak out about certain things. But I think in the coming months, we're going to start reintegrating more traditional sorority um, posts, like bring back the birthday posts and sisterhood things. But that's my role right now is kind of just, I'm kind of like a social media person, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Do you have anything that you think on a more general level? uh, How do you anticipate Greek life as a whole, you know, like recruitment or the rushing process for sororities or fraternities. Do you have any predictions on how that'll be different this year? Yeah. So I have no clue how rush is going to go this year for sororities in the spring, frats in the fall. I have no clue. Um, both options kind of freak me out like virtual or in person. I have no clue, but 
I think for the upcoming semester, when it comes to chapter meetings and philanthropy events, I think that every Greek organization is going to have to adapt some way to make the presence of Greek life still be there and still have people feel like they have a community. So through virtual chapter meetings, making them fun and engaging and maintaining that level of like sister or brotherhood, um, I think it's going to be a challenge, but I think we'll rise to the task of it. I don't know exactly how it's going to unfold, but I know a lot of work is going into making sure that they have the best experience possible. I'm not a part of that committee, so I have no clue what's actually happening right now. But I think it'll be different, but I don't think it'll be bad, if that makes sense. I think it's still, it's going to be as good as the rest of life is going to be at Penn next semester. It's going to be different. It's going to be mostly online, but we can still have a community if we want one. I love that. We'll definitely talk about that in more detail a little bit later. But the concept of trying to have engaging virtual events is going to be very critical for this fall semester. It's going to be critical for uniting the student body. And I'll talk, like I just said, I'll talk about this a little more in detail later. But I think one of the things that's going to be most important to that is for Penn to provide students the resources to explore that and to really dive into digital media to create these these projects and these things that unite the community so yeah mm-hmm. with that we'll switch gears a little bit talk about the student campus compact lauren because i'm really interested in your on your thoughts on some of these things yeah. um, for anyone who's unaware the student campus compact is basically a set of rules and regulations that we're basically agreeing to by coming back to campus, these agreements that we're making within this compact include regulations such as congregating only in designated indoor or outdoor spaces, uh, like Lauren just said, hosting all student club meetings and group events virtual when at all possible, uh, having no guests in our residences whatsoever. There's, There's a lot to unpack in this compact, Lauren. Just give me overall, what are your initial thoughts about this plan and this set of um, uh, kind of safety guidelines, if you will? Yeah, so obviously it's not ideal, but I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or a popular one, but I think it's kind of a necessary evil. I think we can make this work. Just because we can't do things we used to be able to do doesn't mean we can't do anything at all like we don't have to be cooped up in our rooms all the time anymore like we can still go outside if we want a study group we can just do it on like one of the green spaces or we can have picnics at Penn Park or you normally hang out with your friends in your room you can go for like long walks and talk about whatever you normally talk about and I think it's I don't think they're trying to be super controlling and like babysit us I think they're really trying to make sure that the whole community can stay safe, which is includes students and faculty and staff and all their respective families that they go home to at the end of the day. I think the safer we um, are, the longer we're going to be able to stay on campus too. Like if we all just kind of go AWOL the first two weeks, we'll probably be gone by September on having to go home. So I think they're not, no one obviously wants to have to follow these, but I think it's kind of a privilege we get to go back. I know so many of my friends don't get to go back this fall. And so I'd rather see my friends six feet away than 3,000 miles away. And I think the more that we do comply, the more normal our spring semester can be if we get under control now. And if that means we have to follow all these rules and have kind of a relatively lame semester, 
I think it's okay as long as we don't have a really lame year. You know, I think it's kind of what we have to do for what right now. Yeah, two years without a spring fling would would blow. I was just thinking about that this morning. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that would be awful. Yeah. So you made a lot of very interesting points. So now let's talk about something that I think has been a little more divisive in the community. Uh, I've heard from a lot of people that people have mixed feelings about this. Um, I personally have uh, iffy feelings about this. Uh, what about contact tracing? Because it seems that a lot of students are wary of this new app that Penn's going to utilize where basically we have to do a daily wellness check that talks about where we've been, what we're doing, and we basically need to receive the green light from this app every day before we're allowed to enter any campus buildings. And a lot of students are, are concerned on the grounds of privacy. Uh, I was talking with someone from the DP who was writing a story about this yesterday, and she was saying that there's several different options up in the air as to whether the app is going to track your location, whether the app could track your location, uh, even when you're not using it. And I think a lot of students are feeling um, a bit wary of that. So what are your thoughts on that, Lauren? Yeah, it definitely does feel a bit big brother-ish. But again, like this one, I have a harder time being like, yeah, it's fine. I do think it is kind of a necessary evil. Like, obviously, like, this is America, we care about privacy and our individual rights a lot. But again, I don't think they're doing it to babysit us. I think it's like, I don't remember every place I go in a day when I'm at school, you know, and if this app can tell me that I potentially infected a person at the library and this classroom and this building, like I think I'd want to know just so I could let other people know that they need to get tested or they need to quarantine so they don't spread it to their roommates or that security worker doesn't bring it home to their kids. Like I think it's really hard to say, yes, track me on this app and make me tell you about my health every single day. But I think it's to keep us on campus for as long as possible. If they can contain it really quickly, then we all get to stay. But if it gets out of hand, we'd all have to go home again. And I think this one is harder because it does kind of go against like privacy that we're used to having and one of the best things about college is you can do whatever you want and you don't have to follow anyone else's rules and this kind of takes away from that a little bit but I think the longer we comply with this the less we'll have to in the future if that makes sense it it does um uh, when I was talking to, to this person from the DP one of the things that I was saying was part of the, one of the most important things about the college experience is for like such a huge percentage of these kids, me included, college is the first time that any of these students have had to like be by themselves. And mm -hmm. college is kind of where you learn to be like truly independent. So I said that kind of having this, uh, this overarching like big, big brother-esque like app, making sure that, you know, we're going to the, to certain places, checking where we are, I don't know. I, I feel a little weird about it. Um, let, I mean, you described it as kind of like a necessary evil, and I get it. Uh, but I also think that Penn, because this is the way that I saw it. By we did, we don't have to come back to campus. We're we're being given the choice to come back to campus. So students, to me, students coming back to campus tells me that students trust in Penn's plan enough that they see it as worth it to pay 
for a year's tuition, even if most of their classes are online. They see it as worth it to come back to campus and to still go through with this. And they trust in Penn that we're still going to be able to get a good Penn experience this year. So I think while it is necessary keeping the public health of the students as like a first priority, I also think that Penn needs to trust students in the same way that the students are trusting Penn to be accountable. And the practicality of that, um, we can debate that for days on whether we think people will follow the student campus compact. Um, but I don't know, but I definitely do get what you're saying. You know, I understand what you're saying too, because it, it is like the best part about college is you kind of get to do your own thing for the first time in your life and really be an adult. But I don't know. I just have like, I don't know for me, I would just rather know if I infected somebody or if they got, I was in a place with an infected person sooner versus later. But I can definitely see where it feels very Big Brother-esque. Yeah, and the other thing that I'm thinking about right now is if students didn't want to kind of share every place they've been to through the app, I'm wondering what will happen with, not even, not even as like false positives, but just kind of the question of false reporting, whether students are going to be truthful, and if this app really does track our locations, what's going to happen if we report that we're one place but our location on the app shows otherwise because from what i heard is that it this is going to be a pretty this campus compact is going to be pretty zero tolerant for the most part uh mm -hmm. it seems that this this campus compact i think when i was speaking with a reporter from the dp it's something like you get like one write-up uh, and then after that if you're found in any sort of violation of it again it's serious consequences and then the other thing about it which this is also what i what i kind of had a problem with was with the compact was um the compact review panel is who's looking over every instance of students breaking the campus compact and they decide you know the merit of the report uh, the degree of how irresponsible someone was acting all of which is necessary right i mean we need to, we obviously if someone's going to try to throw a party with like 200 people that's not good, <laughs> but yeah. this reporter, she was telling me how the way that this is going to work is for the most part, it's completely reliant on students reporting an instance of someone breaking the compact, snitching, like no, mm -hmm. no bullshit. It's snitching, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, personally, I'm someone who never judges someone and because for the simple fact that I have no idea what someone's going through. Someone could be having, because we know that mental health is going to be one of the chief concerns of this upcoming school year. Someone could be just having like an absolute mental breakdown. And they said they, you know, reach out to someone, to two of their closest friends that they trust, that they know are usually very good about social distancing. And they just say like, guys, I'm having a horrible time. I just really need to like be with people right now. Uh, and it could be at like late at night, whenever these students don't really feel comfortable being outside or going on like a walk or something like you were saying. And I think for someone to face serious consequences for something like that, just because they were trying to look out for themselves and for their mental health, I have a problem with that. Um, yeah, I, I hear you, but I also, I don't think you're going to get kicked out of campus for that. I think, I don't know what the committee is doing. I don't think anyone really fully knows yet. And I don't think it's fair to kind of do like a whataboutism about it. Like, Obviously, the person that throws a party with even, like, 50 people should get in trouble for it. But yeah, for sure, one person in your dorm, I don't think... Also, if it's student-reported, it's not like your friend's going to be like, I was in Kaylin's room at 
this time at this place without a mask on, you know, like, I think they're not going to waste their time on little things like that, as opposed to the person that's consistently hanging out with people without masks on or going to parties off campus or going downtown. Because, yes, I don't, I don't know, I just have a, a harder time because I feel like we have a responsibility here like we are given this privilege to go back to campus and we have to kind of pull our weight a little bit and it's also because it's not just actions that affect us it's could affect your roommate or the security guard that gets paid like minimum wage down the hall at the bottom of the stairs from you like all those people have lives and health concerns and you don't know what health concerns your next door neighbor has that they might be immunocompromised and what are you bringing into the hall like I think our personal liberties can only go so far to the point where they don't impose on other people's liberties like my right to go out and party is minimal compared to the security guard's right to live yeah I hear you and you know I, I really kind of like the this back and forth discussion that we're having because yeah. the picture it paints the picture that there's a lot of things to think about with this compact, with just how we approach this semester. Uh, and it oh, makes 100%. me, yeah, it makes me wonder, you know, we're talking about these different scenarios and I'm very curious as to how the compact review panel is going to kind of walk that fine line because someone could argue like, Oh, we can have in-person classes with up to 25 students. Who's to say that me and my best friend can't have, uh, a socially distanced movie night in my apartment. So I, I'm really curious to see how the committee is going to kind of approach all those uh, multifaceted outlooks on this whole thing and how they kind of walk that fine line. But I mean, as 100%, I think they're going to give us more information as we get closer with like specific circumstances. And right now, all we can do is speculate on it, which kind of creates a lot of anxiety and tension and kind of not like rabbit hole but like domino thinking and i think if they just laid out like this scenario is okay this one's not it would clear up a lot of concerns and um different impressions of the compact i think if they were just more specific on it yeah i agree i think a common theme that everyone's been kind of complaining about is that pen overall isn't being very transparent not with housing not with i mean I was talking to this reporter yesterday and I said, I got an email two days ago where Penn basically said, uh, we changed your dining plan because we changed it to what we think will uh, most closely reflect um, the shortened semester and your dining plan that you have now, and, which is like fine. I was like, okay. But at the same time, I was like, they just did that. It, it just kind of happened and we didn't know it was happening until it was like already done. So I don't know. I just think with, I just think with a lot of things, they need to be a little more transparent and and clear up some of this confusion because even if we had all the answers we're looking for there's still confusion coming from so many other places just based on like yeah. what's happening in people's lives even outside of Penn because we are still in the middle of a pandemic but yeah and I no go ahead oh no I was just thinking like the discussion we're having right now that's the exact same discussion that administrators are having because you know they probably have different perspectives on the pandemic and like what the best course of action is too so I'm sure they're having lots of like debates and meetings about this as well, about what they, maybe that's why they haven't given anything more specific yet because they haven't reached a full consensus yet either. I don't know, but. Yeah, it's just going to be difficult. It's going to be, it, like I said earlier, it was difficult 
whenever we were in freshman spring, we were in freshman spring, we, by that time, we're basically thinking, you know, we have the hand, we have a handle of this. We're getting adjusted to the college life, getting adjusted to being independent. And then it all abruptly ends. We all get sent home. And now yeah. fast forward months later, we're going to have an equally difficult time going back, trying to reenter the college experience through this lens of this new normal, because it's definitely going to hurt. It's going to hurt that students, like you said, had to abruptly say goodbye to all these different people, all these people that they had just started meeting and started forging relationships with. I feel like it's going to be just as hard, if not harder to go back to campus, knowing that all these people are on campus, but you really can't see them to the fullest capacity that you could uh, in the past. And I like how you put it. I'd rather see my friends six feet away than thousands of miles. Uh, but it's definitely still going to be hard. And I think students are going to have a tough time with it. But that's just one of the many compromises that we're going to have to make to beat this and to make this work. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can get creative too. I think it doesn't, we don't have to settle at zero just because we're not at 100. Yeah, that actually segues into what I was about to ask. You know, yeah. it's no question that this is going to be a difficult semester, especially with like how we were just saying, the social interactions, trying to forge those same connections and memories. Lauren, how do you think that the university and, and the students can work together to unite the campus at a distance? Yeah, I think there just has to be really clear messaging that we all want the same thing. We all want this to be over as soon as possible. We all want to keep our community safe, which is the Penn community and the greater Philly community. Like we are kind of guests in Philadelphia. And I think though this is one way we can do it where that's probably the most responsible way to do it is through social distancing and wearing masks and all that. And I think if we all just kind of like, get it together for three months and just follow these rules we can all work towards a better spring and it's definitely gonna be really hard to keep up communication with people and if you're not like living down the hall from them or sharing a room with them or anything like that but I think we all have to realize and hopefully they kind of market it this way that we all want the same thing and we all have the same goal here so let's all work together to actually make that happen because I think, yes, we're going to be alone, but I think even knowing that, like, the person next door to you is also kind of alone right now, but we're alone for a purpose, I think that can make it seem a lot less meaningless and endless. If, you know, we have a goal in mind and we're going to do everything we can to get it, like, go Quakers, let's go. I think that hopefully is kind of what they push out a little bit more. Yeah, and I think all of this is going to, it's definitely going to be easier to communicate once we are actually right upon the start of the school year and everyone's getting ready to come back to campus and everyone's everyone's preparing to kind of see how this goes. I think that's when things will become clearest as of now. Really all we can do is spec speculate. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about student life in, in a bit of a different way. So one of the new parts of the Penn experience that was added last academic year and you know, incoming freshmen, people in the class of 2023, we both were exposed to this. And that was the theme of thriving at Penn, also called the tap modules that we had to do through like Canvas in the summer. Do you think that the university has given students the proper resources so they can thrive at Penn virtually? And if not, what changes do you think need to be made to ensure that students can 
like you said, get creative and make, make the most out of their experience this fall. Yeah, so I have, I think, a more limited um, perspective on this because I'm not a Thigley student or an international student that might need more support for this. Like, I'm not in a different time zone and I have a laptop that works for this purpose and things like that. So I think that, so I don't know what Penn is providing to students that have different needs than I do. Uh, but I do know that at Penn, even in a normal semester, there's a lot of resources that are underutilized. Like, I don't know many people that have used the tutoring center regularly or the writing center or even CAPS. And I think they, people, like, we're paying for these things. So why not use them? That's kind of a motto I took on second semester because first semester I kind of struggled with wanting to do everything myself and not utilizing any resources. And then I was like, oh, wait, good money is being spent on these programs you should use them you have a right to use them and hopefully they get publicized more so people can feel like they have the support readily available it's like here's a link for the tutoring center here's a link for caps sign up and have that be regularly publicized so people know that these resources are here and the university not just some institution like it actually does care about its students and its people and like i said earlier i mean i don't know exactly what resources other students might need um i'd love to hear about other resources whether penn is providing them adequately or not but i think just because we can't thrive as much as we used to that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater and just kind of like sit at a zero percent thriving mark i think even if we can just like feel like 50 percent or 80 percent thriving and it's better than not doing anything and just being upset and stagnant because we're in a really unfortunate and upsetting situation if that makes sense no that makes sense of course and thinking of this it really makes me feel you got to sympathize with the freshmen i mean i think when you're talking about uh discovering the resources that are out there utilizing them kind of getting used to the fact that it's okay to reach out for help which is something that i think the penn students struggle with already a good amount and they're going to have to kind of get over that more in this upcoming semester freshman fall it was just probably i learned so much freshman fall and i can't imagine these students not really having that and them trying to enter this whole new stage in their life virtually it's definitely going to be a challenge um yeah no, i mean you think like we're talking about like not seeing our friends as much or in the way we used to where these guys don't even have friends at school that they can go out and see regularly and figure out a way to see them like they're starting from scratch and that's very upsetting for me to think about like just not being able to meet a random person at nso or in a class or like pinnacle or even like having resources like so available to you i think will be really difficult for them i was just gonna say i wonder how the how the pinnacle 24 squad is going to come out or if there is going to be yeah. a 24 squad. <laughs> I know they're doing it online. I don't know how you can do it online. I'd love to see it, but um, it'll be a different experience. Definitely. Virtual banana songs. Oh, God. I blacked that out of my memory. Like, <sighs> you can't. That was so essential. Yeah. Pentacle, they did a whole banana theme i don't even know what it was we need to make all these songs about bananas and sing it to this grown man and it was very strange but 
Yeah, it was weird. Pinnacle, Pinnacle was a trip. Um, really born, yeah, even though their freshman year will look very different than what our freshman year looked like, what advice would you give the incoming class of 2024 as they prepare to begin their journey? Okay, I think the best advice I got before coming to college was, okay, I have two things. So one of them is be the person that says hi first. So when I was at Pinnacle, I like made sure I went up to people and like introduced myself and like complimented their shirt or something. And even in classes, like I tried to be the person who was just super friendly and like went on my way to make new friends because I don't, I'm like a social person. And I know that's not everyone um, likes being the person that says hi first, but I think if you want to make friends, you got to put yourself out there. And even on a Zoom, like what I've been doing this summer is like, I don't know anyone in this class, but I like, remembered this one person asked a question so I dm'd them on Instagram I was like hey I fit what the professor said to that can you let me know and then we started like a conversation and so there's just a lot of different ways you can go out reach out to things and then my second piece of advice is to make a schedule I the first like three weeks of college were kind of a whirlwind for me with just like everyone's doing a million things at once and then when school really hit I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Everything's kind of a mess. And I just sat down one day and I'm pretty sure someone at the tutoring center told me to do this. Where it's just like, make a schedule for yourself. Like I get up at this time. I do homework from this time to this time. If anyone's ever seen my uh, Google calendar, it's literally like my whole life is carved out. So, and that just makes me feel a lot more like steady. And like, I know what I'm doing each day. So say hi to people and make a, like a calendar for yourself. And that'll make you feel a lot better and stable. That Google Calendar psycho. You know that I've always thought that way. <laughs> no, you would look over an econ and just judge me. I would see it every time. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, so 3 to 3.15 is walk to class. 3.15 <laughs> to 3.30 is sit down in class, get my notebook out. I mean, you crazy. Oh, I'm just kidding. Just like, no, I would like mark out where I'm – oh, I'm vegan too. So I just tell her like no – what food was going to be available to me that day at the dining hall. So I'd mark out where I was going. It was a whole thing, but yeah, now I have a kitchen, so I don't have to worry about that. So I completely didn't even bring up your veganism in the first question. That's such a big personality trait of yours. I don't know how you couldn't have mentioned that. It's been an hour since I've talked about it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah. Great advice. Uh, be the person to say hi first and, Whenever you're forced to do class virtually, be the one to slide into the DMs. Uh, word of advice from Lauren Hollis. So, Lauren, shoot your shot. <laughs> yep, shoot your shot. So we're at we are nearing the end of our time here. We we talked for this whole hour. I'm very impressed. Um, if there's anything that you'd like to give a shout out to or bring attention to, now is that opportunity to do so. With that, everyone, again, this has been Lauren Hollis. And Lauren, the mic is yours. So I have two things. Um, one, Stream Folklore by Taylor Swift. It's a masterpiece, and you will not regret it. Um, the second thing is to register to vote. And if you live in a swing state, register there. If you don't, register in Pennsylvania, because this is a really important election. Penn Leads the Vote is an organization that I have a lot of friends in, and they're trying really hard to make voter registration accessible to the pen community so definitely do that make sure your voice is heard and follow the rules so we can all vote in november if we're still on campus so those are my shout outs
Sweet. Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. It was a great conversation. I got to say, I listened to a couple, the first couple songs on Folklore, and I wasn't overly impressed. And I'm probably going to get hated for that, but I wasn't overly impressed. Okay, the second half of the album, actually, no, the middle chunk is my favorite. So you like, and you have to listen to it when it's like raining and dark and kind of sad, and then you'll just be transported to a new place. And it's beautiful. So. Okay. All right. I'll give That's it. That's my recommendation. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. Have a good night. Thank you for having me. Of course. Bye, y'all. See ya. Thank you, everyone, once again, for tuning in tonight to Early Evenings with Kaylin David. As always, I have been your host, Kaylin David. And shout out to Lauren for keeping everyone entertained with another solo guest special. Um, make sure to tune in next week. Next week's going to be exciting. I'll be sitting down with Class Board 2023 President Derek New, as well as the Exec VP of Operations for Penn Student Agencies, Michael Warren II. Be sure to subscribe to Early Evenings with Kaylin David on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to hear interviews with all the great people that have joined me on this show. And if you're on Apple, give it a five-star rating while you're at it. With that, thank you everyone for tuning in here tonight, and I will see everyone next week. Thank you.